I wonder, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you want to be? It might be obvious to some of you. When I was younger, I really wanted to be a basketball player. Why are you laughing? And, and so much so that um, I would, we went to a local tip and we found a netball hoop. We took it home. We nailed a backboard onto it. We put it up in our back garden. I then flyed around our council estate on a weekly basis for basketball tournaments. I watched Space Jam, the film. Anyone remember Space Jam? I got the soundtrack, played that nonstop. I played NBA on the Nintendo religiously. I wanted to be a basketball player so much. And then I moved to London where the average 15-year-old was about seven foot tall. And suddenly my dreams dissolved. I then decided I want to be in the army. So I joined the army cadets and I, I learned how to iron a uniform. I learned how to make a bed with clinical precision. I learned how to polish boots. I learned how to march for hours on end. Went on overnight expeditions. I learned how to strip apart a rifle and put it back together again. I then became a Christian and I wanted to become a worship leader. Who didn't, right? And so I was working as a butcher at the time, and I spent my month's wages on a guitar, and I would play, my family didn't know Jesus at all, but I'd go home and I'd lock myself in my bedroom, and I'd play for hours and hours on end. And I remember one afternoon, I was midway through a Matt Redmond classic, and my brother banged on the door, and he said, for the love of Jesus, I was like, you love him too, hallelujah. He said, it's not blessed, it's blessed. I was like, what does he know, eh? What does he know? And then... I decided I couldn't do that, couldn't do that, because not a lot of churches can afford a worship leader. I'll become a youth pastor, right? And so then I started to study. I, I studied a degree in youth work and theology, as if that's a degree. And then I, I would wear baggy jeans every Sunday. I'd wear hoodies. I would listen to the same music that young people were listening to. Justin Bieber, Lil Mix, Lil Pump, Lil Yachty. I'm not speaking in tongues. They're actually people. And, but then... I felt called by God to explore ordination, explore life as a priest full-time for the church. Because whether we know it or not, we all live in ways that are directed towards something, that we orientate our lives in such a way where there's a destination intended, subconsciously or otherwise. It might be a top job. It might be self-employment. It might be certain grades at school. It might be a perfect 2.4 family with a Ford Galaxy parked out front. Whatever it is, by accident or not, we live in a way that is dedicated to a purpose. The Gospel of Luke we've been exploring across this Advent season cues up the story of the Nativity with historical precision and includes all our favourite characters that we see every Nativity. But then we get to chapter 2. And it feels like Luke, the writer of this Gospel, is saying, you've been given God in human form. Now what are you going to do about it? So we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So if our lives are all pointed towards a dedicated destination, what about the people in this story? Well, Mary and Joseph, as we know, are literally dedicated to dedicating Jesus to God, submitting him to the Jewish law. And there are two reasons why I dedicate a child back in the day. The first is to say thank you to God for a safe delivery, for health and all that stuff. And the second was because the religious law commanded that you did it so that the child would be cleansed. How we don't know whether it's fear of those angels that scared them a few nights ago, a few months back, or whether they might have possibly believed that this little bundle, this eight-day-old baby, nine pounds, eight-ounce baby Jesus, this small little bundle may bring about the reconciliation between God and man. And so they were totally devoted to raising him with utmost integrity, fully in line with Jewish law and doing all they could. I don't know how they did it. I'm a father of daughters. I've got two daughters. How do they do it before YouTube? I don't know how I'd survive without those. Yeah, you can watch YouTube for two more hours, minutes. You can. How, do, how, how would they have taken that beautiful family Instagram picture? Because I don't know, I, I can only get that by bribes, by threats. If you don't hold your sister and smile like you're enjoying yourself, you're going to be grounded. And yet we don't know, we probably can guess they weren't perfect parents, but we know the product of their parenting. It's written in the gospel. Jesus grew in wisdom and God's grace was on him. If only they had written us a guide. But the thing is, is there's good news in just this little part of the story. The thing is, is Mary was a stay-at-home mum and Joseph was a carpenter. So we can know that you don't have to be a religious professional to be devoted to God. You don't have to down tools and suddenly say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become a vicar. I'm going to down tools and become a worship. You don't need to be a full-time employed Christian to devote yourself to God. You can be a carpenter, a builder, a business person, a mum, a dad. What are you dedicated to? Simeon dedicated his life to the consolation of Israel, the Bible tells us. And the Bible says the Spirit was on him. Why? Well, later on we hear through the words of Jesus, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are peacemakers. 
Sin was so dedicated to consolation of Israel, to pursuing peace in Israel, to pursuing restoration between Israel and God. He was so dedicated to pursuing God's call on his life that even the most mundane act, the Bible says that as he walked out into the temple courts, even that was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Even just moving out of the temple into the courts was a holy act. There was this monk a few decades, centuries ago called Brother Lawrence. And his job in the monastery was not the worship leading, it wasn't the preaching, it wasn't even the swinging of the incense or anything like that. His job was to do the dishes. And this was written about him. The most effective way Brother Lawrence had for communicating with God was to simply do his ordinary work. He did this obediently out of a pure love of God, purifying it as much as was humanly possible. He believed it was a serious mistake to think of our prayer time as being different from any other time. Our actions should unite us with God when we are involved in our daily activities, just as our prayers unite us with him in our quiet devotions. In Simeon's case, it was simply going to the temple courts became a divine act. And so what would it look like if we were so dedicated to God that a true bride that putting out the bins, playing with our kids, playing with our relatives' kids, giving a friend a lift home, doing the photocopying at work. Could that become a divine act? And yet again, we see Simeon's words to Jesus' parents at the dedication, that Jesus isn't for the righteous, isn't for the holy, isn't for the special crew, but he's for the Gentiles too. So if you've come this morning because you're still hanging around for more turkey leftovers, you are so welcome. You're exactly who Jesus came for. If you're feeling a bit uncomfortable today because you feel like you're not in the right place, you're exactly who Jesus came for. There's a table reserved for you. There's a table, a space at the table reserved for you. And the final words this slightly eccentric, prayerful guy, Simeon, says to the parents are no words a parent wants to hear. And I would strongly recommend, do not put them in a greetings card at a baby's dedication. But it says this, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What words for an eight-day-old baby? That this baby will split the room. This baby will not be liked. There'll be some people who will find this baby's very presence repulsive. There'll be some people that will not like your child. Imagine saying that at a dedication. And then the words that he says after, that there's gonna be an event in your baby's life that will be so earth-shattering, so cosmos-altering, so paradigm-shifting, that it'll feel like a sword has been driven through your soul and will pierce it. It seems to me that through this brief instance of Simeon's life, we get a glimpse of what a truly dedicated life to God looks like. A reckless pursuit of peace and reconciliation and a prophetic glimpse into God's future plans and purposes. Then stage left, we have another character, Anna, who's been praying and fasting night and day at the temple since she lost her husband. Another totally devoted to God despite her circumstance, despite her history, despite her past, despite her mourning and suffering, still devoted to God. And from a distance, she sees them far off and knows 
that this eight-day-old baby, that this child is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Early on, from day eight, Jesus is seen as the one who will purchase redemption for the enslaved people of Israel, the one who will set the captives free, the one who will bring about liberty in amongst a broken world. And then we end this short account with Mary and Joseph again, who, who are now dedicated to bringing up this boy in a backwater town of Nazareth so that he too can dedicate his life in growing wisdom and the grace of God. So I ask you again, what do you wanna be when you grow up? When you're older, what do you wanna be? In the fourth century, there was a North African bishop called St. Augustine. I mean, St. wasn't his first name. It was later that he was given a saint. His first name's Augustine. And he said, our souls are restless until they find their place in God. More recently, a theologian from the States says, you are what you worship. And here we have four people in today's reading who are a very picture of dedication to God and his purposes in the life of Jesus Christ. But we don't simply dedicate our lives to God because we're fearful, because it's law, we're law-bound, or because it's the right thing to do. Firstly, God is dedicated to pursuing his people. We worship the God who is known not by fairy tales or myths, esoteric claims or philosophical attributes, but we worship the God who is known by his movement throughout history. The one who set the Israelites free from the hands of the Egyptians, who released them from the hands of the Babylonians, who led them out of exile and into the promised land, who sent his son, the same son that exchanged glory for a cross, the God that raised that same son into glory from the dead, the God who then sent his spirit onto all flesh so even Ethiopian eunuchs and those who persecute the church can be brought together to know freedom and life in all its fullness through Jesus Christ. We worship the God who rid the world of the oppressive Roman Empire by turning a cold heart over to him. We worship a God who introduced laws of grace and stability into a chaotic Western world. We worship a God who brought about shouts of praise in dark times through his revivals. We worship a God who's brought about the turning of hearts so that there'll be hospitals for the poor, Sunday schools for the uneducated and countless feeding programs for the needy. We worship a God who re rebuilds on a daily basis marriages, families, broken lives, hopeless souls and purposeless lives. We worship a God who heals up, binds up, sets free, stirs up, sends out ordinary people to do extraordinary work. We worship a God who is present everywhere by his signs, through his word, by his people, by his spirit. We worship a God and dedicate our lives to a God because he is so dedicated to seeing humanity be all that it could truly be. God has said since the beginning of time, I'm going to be known by what I do for my people. When people ask why I'm a Christian, I don't respond, well, did you know it's because in 325 AD, a, a group of people, because in response to a theological controversy, gathered together and formulated a creed that, that will become the framework for orthodoxy amongst Christian believers. And, and it's a set of statements that I can cognitively, responsibly, rationally, and respectively agree upon. No. I say, well, I didn't grow up going to church and my life was a mess, an absolute mess, total chaos. I then watched this weird film called The Passion of the Christ. I then went to church. I then got surrounded by people who were, who were loving and gracious and they, and they opened the Bible with me 
And I then started to see a person of Jesus who would invite someone like me round his table. And then I became a Christian. Since then, my life has changed ridiculous amounts. We dedicate our lives to God because he is dedicated to his people. And secondly, we dedicate our lives to God because in Jesus, we see a God who gave everything so that we could make a choice. Jesus entered the world in a wooden crib, a feeding trough for animals, richly unclean from day dot. And it looked like 33 years later that he ended his life on a wooden cross, a torture device reserved for thieves, heretics, and pirates. Do you know that? You can have that one for free. God was so dedicated to us and restoring brokenness in every corner of humanity that he gave his only son to die for us. Our dedication to God is not just a response, but an imitation of our Savior's own life. It shocks me today that there are people in this world who literally give up their lives for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're not a strange sect, not an odd connect group in a different part of the world, not a random bunch of people, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family, totally devoted to sharing the liberating news of Jesus Christ in the darkest areas of our world, that they would give up their lives for that truth. And sometimes I struggle to give 10 minutes a day for prayer. Sometimes I struggle to give a Tuesday evening for a connect group. Sometimes I struggle for a Wednesday alpha. Sometimes I struggle even to get out of bed for Sunday church. And I work here. We dedicate our lives to God because in Jesus we see God giving everything so we can make a choice. And it's not always easy. The best thing about my job is that when I'm sitting in the barber's chair or when I'm in the post office queue and I get chance to someone and they say, well, what do you do? Straight away, I'm onto Jesus. It's really easy for me. I don't have to like wangle it around. I don't have to like ask someone first, what did you do at the weekend so that I can return? Oh, well, at the weekend I was at church. Don't have to do that. I just work at a church. Let's talk about Jesus. Easy. The negative thing is being a pastor, you can't stop being a pastor at 5 p.m. And the, the really annoying thing is, both my neighbors either side know I'm a pastor. So they know I'm a pastor when I'm in the front drive, then I'm a pastor when I'm in my garden. I can't sunbathe anymore. No one wants to see a pastor's belly, do they? And one of the hardest things, one of the biggest sacrifices being a pastor, is you can't really, with full integrity, do that trip advisor thing you all do around lunch. You know, when you're like rating the church service, giving it out of 10, what was the sermon like, what was the word? When you're preaching, you can't really do that. It's difficult. I don't always get it right, but we dedicate our lives to God because he gives us all we need by his spirit to live a life dedicated to him. God does the heavy lifting. He gives his spirit so that no matter what we do, no matter what we face, no matter what we step into, God will be with us by his promise. God goes with us by his spirit. He's so dedicated to keeping this relationship with us that he sent his spirit so that all people, everywhere, anytime, could be in communion with him. They could be united with the Father and the Son by the spirit they share so that the chasm of mess that gets in the way, the valleys of darkness that we sometimes face, the burdens we carry and the hurt we possess, no longer get in the way of receiving the love of God. Both Anna and Simeon in this story were so dedicated to God that following the promptings of his spirit was an everyday occurrence. 
when I grow up, when I'm older, I wanna be so attentive to God's promptings that I'm fully aware of all the divine moments that are in our everyday. So what do you wanna be when you're older? What do you wanna be when you are older? And then what one thing do we need today to make that possible? I know that on a daily occurrence, sometimes twicely, sometimes thricely, sometimes thricely, I have to dedicate my life to Jesus afresh. So we're gonna do that now, if you're with me. Do you wanna stand? And why don't we just close our eyes? And we close our eyes so we don't get distracted by those around us and just have a time with us and Jesus. And right now, if you want to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? Once again, for the millionth time, I wanna dedicate my life to you, God. Why don't you just place a hand just over your heart and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you relentlessly pursue me. That you are first so dedicated to us, your people, even me. That you would give all to set me free. And so Lord, would you send your spirit? Would you give me the courage, the bravery, but also the acknowledgement of your grace? to be fully dedicated and devoted to you. Come Holy Spirit. Where we may have wandered, where we may have gone astray. Maybe some of us have been dragged to church today, promise of a good lunch. And actually like, you know what? I've been scrambling around trying to find a purpose. God, into your hands, I give you my life. Take it all. And Lord, we do that perfectly acknowledging that we are broken, that we're gonna mess up, but we believe and trust in your goodness, that you'll never forsake us, that you'll never leave us, that you'll be with us by your spirit till the very end of the age. 